This is the Voice Overwork Podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services. Today is Thursday, March 3rd, 2021. On the podcast today, we'll take a little deeper look into a book introduced in a previous podcast with a chapter-by-chapter look at The Science of Likeability, 67 Evidence-Based Methods to Radiate Charisma, Make a Powerful Impression, Win Friends, and Trigger Attraction, 4th edition. Written by Patrick King, narrated by Russell Newton. Chapter 1. How to Make People Desire Your Presence Why do some people instantly like us while others seem to be offended by our very existence? Is hitting it off and becoming friends with people purely a roll of the dice? Or is there something more we can do to control our chances of connecting with people? For many people, likability does seem to be a game of chance. If you happen to sit next to someone who is similar to you, and who also happens to share a hobby or hometown, then you'll have something to connect over. But statistically, that can't happen with every new friend we make, so things aren't quite adding up. As we saw from Little Albert and Pavlov's dog, we're more influenceable than we might assume. People who see likability as completely organic and natural are somewhat misguided because cultivating a feeling of likability around yourself is just like any other emotion. It can be triggered, summoned, eliminated, and ultimately engineered. If we want to make someone angry with us, we certainly know what to do and how to adjust our behavior. If we want to make someone cry, we also know how to create that feeling. Likeability is not much different. We push psychological buttons, but for a far more desirable outcome. We all have specific and subtle triggers that influence the way we view others and how they view us. Most of them are minuscule, subconscious, and mired in the minutiae. But these are the details that actually make the difference. If you went into a restaurant and saw only one cockroach hiding in the corner, well, it might be minuscule, but still quite important. The first chapter of the book focuses on the small details that comprise our first impressions, an integral part of likability. First impressions run deep, are not subject to change, and are your... Chapter 2. How to Create the Foundation of Friendship It's rude to look at your friendships and evaluate them based on how much you're benefiting from them. In essence, are your friendships and relationships purely transactional? Nobody likes to think this way, at least not out loud. We would love to imagine that we are friends with our friends because they suit us the best, we enjoy their company, and they know us inside and out. We all inhabit a special place in each other's hearts because of our unique sensibilities and emotional bonds, right? It sounds nice to say, and it's the politically correct version of how to describe friendships, new and old, but in reality, people subconsciously evaluate their relationships based on how much value they receive. It's important to mention that value is subjective and doesn't necessarily have to be in the form of any material or financial gain. Of course, we do value people who are valuable connections based on their wealth or status, but we also value people if they make us laugh, make us feel good, or act as our emotional crutches. We must be getting something out of it if we want to preserve or grow it. 
Most value and exchange in a friendship or relationship is usually measured in emotional terms. If people make us feel positive emotions, they have value to us, and we want them around because of their emotional value proposition. If they make us feel negative emotions, then we might not want them around, no matter how much they would be able to help our careers. So it's fair to say relationships are inherently a bit transactional. We get what we want from people in some form or fashion, and our friends get what they want from us in a similar fashion. If you spend time with someone whose company you don't enjoy, but these events always occur on their private yacht, it might be acceptable. Chapter 3. How to Act the Part If you've never been to an intense sporting event, allow me to describe the general atmosphere. In a word, it's mayhem. The entire crowd is there for a purpose, to cheer on one of the teams. It is tribalism to the extreme. People have taken the effort to drag themselves out to the sporting event, pay exorbitant prices for food and drink, and sit in uncomfortable and crowded chairs. None of that matters. It's a small sacrifice for the excitement and fervor they have for one of the teams playing. People will scream at the top of their lungs and engage in a cheering frenzy anytime something positive happens for their team. This drive for victory can turn some people into hooligans, and in recent years, there have even been fans killed by other fans for being on the wrong side. And you know what? You're going to get sucked right into it as well. Perhaps not to that extent, but it's highly contagious, and you'll become a product of your environment. You'll cheer and scream, even if it's not in your nature. This is your new normal, for as long as you're in that environment. This everyday example demonstrates how often we take cues from others on how to act. We see what it takes to blend in and act the part in any context we find ourselves in. This is also how we can become more likable, by setting the tone and acting the part of a close friend. Act first, think later. Austrian psychologist Sigmund Freud is famous for many theories. First, of course, there's his theory on the Oedipus complex, which states that we are forever in subconscious sexual competition with our same-sex parent because we want to have sex with our opposite-sex parent. In other words, sons want to have sex with their mothers and daughters want to have sex with their fathers. Chapter 4. How to be trustworthy Some people start with zero trust in strangers and keep their guards high until they see enough signs that they feel comfortable letting their guard down. For these people, trust is slowly earned and a privilege never a given. Trust is the ultimate placing of faith in someone, and that's not something to be taken lightly. On the other hand, other people immediately embrace strangers with open arms and assume good intentions. This is where trust is automatically given as a policy, with the understanding that it can be lost. Wherever you might fall on that spectrum, it's clear that trust is assigned different values based on people's experiences. If you've had positive experiences with being open with strangers, you're more likely to continue in that fashion and vice versa. This is all to say that trust can be a hard quality to nail down, perhaps harder than other facets of likability and charm. But is there a way to shortcut the process if you come across someone who thinks trust is to be earned over a long period of time? How can you win over even the most guarded and standoffish person who doesn't even leave their bag with you when they use the restroom? 
Well, on the topic of direct trust alone, there's a multitude of studies about what compels that feeling. A 2018 study called Stimulus Generalization as a Mechanism for Learning to Trust by Oriel Feldman Hall found that the trust we feel toward others depends on if the person resembles a past individual that was either trustworthy or untrustworthy. This would imply that trust functions more like what made Pavlov's dogs salivate, a knee-jerk reaction based on a simple association. For a more conventional perspective, a 1985 publication called Trust in... Chapter 5. How to Make People Lower Their Guards How would you act if the most stunningly attractive and physically perfect person suddenly sat down next to you? If you were at home, you might tell them to get out of your house, but otherwise we would likely be reduced to a stuttering mess. When someone so undoubtedly amazing suddenly becomes a point of comparison to us, we can't help but feel inadequate. When we can't seem to detect a flaw in someone, we grow tense and uptight, hiding our own shortcomings. Our insecurities instantly rise to the surface. Perfect people scare and intimidate us. We're uncomfortable around them, and they make us self-conscious in ways we never thought possible. A person without flaws just seems superhuman, and it can generate a sense of shock and wonder as you think, are we even the same species? They seem unrelatable and like engaging with you would be below them. Okay, that might be a little hyperbolic, but the fact of the matter is that perfection and flawlessness are not wholly positive traits. We like these types of people that are high status and high value, but we're not comfortable around them, at least not initially. That's a hit to overall likability and relatability. To illustrate this effect, consider that in recent years there's been an exponentially greater number of media and movies about Batman and Spider-Man over Superman. Let's suppose we can use this as a proxy for how popular each superhero is. Why might Batman and Spider-Man be more popular than Superman? I have my own theory. Superman is literally, well, a superman. He has no weaknesses beyond a rare type of rock. Most of his struggles, if we take a step back and think, can be solved with a single punch, because he can lift a house effortlessly. Chapter 6. How to Salvage a Social Situation one of the most common fears that keep us from doing what we want is the fear of judgment. Fear in general is the quantity that keeps us frozen in our tracks, but judgment is a special kind of suffering we want to avoid. We are perpetually concerned with what others think about us, from old friends to strangers. We never want to make a bad impression, and the worst thing that could possibly happen is to have people think we're stupid. If we catch even a whiff that this is occurring, it's easy for us to imagine that the world is ending and that we will become a social pariah. One tense word or misinterpreted look, and that's all it takes. But sometimes judgment from others is our fate, and there's little we can do about it. For all that we've talked about likability, sometimes it is actually more important to simply not be seen in a negative light. To not be judged harshly and be unlikable can actually be the social win you're looking for. Despite the scientific evidence, with some people you're never going to enter their inner circle or even garner a smile from them. When this becomes clear, sometimes it does, sometimes it does not, 
then we must change our goals and how we approach them. Instead of aiming to be someone they seek out and crave, we should aim to avoid negativity. In a sense, this is like playing a baseball game in the hopes of not losing instead of actively trying to win. It's not an approach that I would usually recommend, but sometimes that's the best you're going to be able to salvage from a situation. If you can keep judgment at bay and morph into a neutral presence, that's a win. How can the science of likability shield us thusly? It begins with how people tend to form judgments about others, positive or negative. The less knowledge we have... Chapter 7. How to Be Charismatic and Funny Much of what has been presented in this book thus far may not be surprising to you. For some, these techniques might be helpful reminders, and for others, they might be mere extensions of what you already know. And, yes, perhaps some of it might appear to be common sense, though you now possess a greater understanding of what underlies the results you want. There are many aspects of human interaction that we pick up just from being a functioning member of society, like basic manners, or tucking in your shirt when you want to appear more tidy and clean. It's not until they're pointed out that they become clear, but nonetheless, the art of being likable isn't necessarily rocket science. I want to take the opportunity to present a couple of truly counterintuitive paths to fundamental elements of likability, charisma and a sense of humor. These might not be so obvious in hindsight, but they have been proven and confirmed with scientific rigor. Remember, despite what you might think, give them a try, because the evidence says otherwise. The Speed of Wit Charisma is a sense of magnetism you feel toward people. You can't explain it, but you just want to listen to them and be around them. Most of our leaders and politicians are imbued with the gift of charisma, even if they sometimes act otherwise not qualified. It's a hard quantity to define, though in 2018, Ske and in Charisma in Everyday Life, Conceptualization and Validation of the General Charisma Inventory, defined what's called the General Charisma Inventory, GCI. They identified a collection of six traits that were generally present in people deemed charismatic. The factors are as follows. Has a presence in a room has the ability to influence people, knows how to lead a group. Chapter 8. How to Gossip, Chit-Chat, and Communicate When we think about gossip, we think about mean teenage girls whispering to each other, pointing at someone, and then laughing. That's certainly one version of it, and sometimes adults aren't much better. Gossiping is when you talk about other people when they're not present, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in a negative light and nor does it have to be about something negative. It's just talking about relationships, connections, who's doing what, and why that might be. You don't have to talk about the adulterous relationships or scandalous connections. There are a few surprising truths about the act of gossiping that can benefit your quest for likability. Engaging in gossip and what appears to be idle chit-chat can cement a relationship. The truth is that the act of gossiping is a highly prosocial and bonding activity, and it's not just something that's been observed in humans. Gossip as Grooming In 1991, behavioral psychologist Robin Dunbar put forth a theory about human relationships he made after observing chimpanzees in Functional Significance of Social Grooming in Primates. 
Chimpanzees are one species of many mammals that engages in what is known as social grooming. You know this to be when chimpanzees pick the bugs out of each other's fur and eat them. You also know this to be when your mother used to fix your hair and arrange your shirt collars just as you were about to leave. Social grooming increases the amount of stability and cohesion in any given group, and it has also been found to be indicative of social structure and hierarchies, with alpha males receiving more grooming and everyone else assuming predetermined roles and positions. This grooming ritual cements social bonds. It also ensures that everybody has their place in the... This has been The Science of Likeability, 67 Evidence-Based Methods to Radiate Charisma, Make a Powerful Impression, Win Friends, and Trigger Attraction, 4th edition. Written by Patrick King, narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2022 by Patrick King. Production copyright by Patrick King. Introduction. Like many college underclassmen who had no idea what they wanted to study, I chose to major in psychology. I thought it was a good default choice because the knowledge theoretically had wide application and could transfer to any other field. After all, psychology is the study of people, and I would be dealing with people anywhere I went, right? It also didn't hurt that I heard the vast majority of the classes had open book, multiple choice midterms and finals so I checked the box next to Bachelor of Science in Psychology and went on with my day. It was something I devoted all of ten minutes of thought to, but in reality, I could have done much worse. Psychology has turned out to be incredibly applicable to my life, relationships, and career. Psychology isn't about reading minds or interpreting dreams, though that's the impression some people may have. It's more accurate to say that psychology is the study of why people do the things they do, beyond the obvious reasons you can see on the surface, and often beyond people's own understanding and consciousness. This has obvious applications, such as seeing why some advertisements are more effective than others, why a child will rush to do something they're explicitly told not to do, and the plain effect on behavior that positive and negative associations can have. But the biggest takeaway from my degree was that so many of our decisions are made completely subconsciously and without any awareness on our part. Our conscious thought follows our subconscious will, and it often isn't until far after we act that we figure out what actually happened. We may think we're acting logically and reasonably in a situation, we may even use defense mechanisms to defend. Please be sure to visit Amazon.com or Audible.com for more information on this book and the author. Show notes and further information can be found at RussellEricNewton.com. With an eclectic collection of insights, knowledge, and trivia from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been the Voice Over Work podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.